Well, so this morning, uh, here I am. I get to do what Ben does. I have one slide, so it's pretty simple, too. Oh, man, I wish you could see what I'm seeing, because it's just, yeah, it's interesting up here. Um, I'm here clicking, and the machine's going, no, no, there's nothing more to go to. Um, so there's a little spoiler for you this morning. <clears throat> That's my, I'm a one-trick pony. Um, well, cool. So uh, this morning, we're going to be jumping back into Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to take a pause. Pastor's been working through the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to return every time. Michael, are you, are you going back to Matt? Yes, Michael, at long last, we're back. Um, and, and we've been slowly working through this sermon for about the past almost three years. Um, and I know that's it's weird to say and weird to think about, um, but it has been almost that long. Uh, and so this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, so if you would take your Bibles and turn there, Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be starting in verse 7 this morning. Uh, and as you turn there, I want to briefly just highlight a couple things. I do this every time, and I, I want to key in on two um, because they're going to be important as we get towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's going to reference back to a few ideas previously talked about in the sermon. Uh, and the first is that, that Jesus is, again, speaking to a group of outcasts on a hillside, um, and these are people who have begun to follow him either because they are sick or they are needy, and he has begun to feed and heal them. And so that is one of the big groups that are following him around and is gathered on this hillside. Um, and, and Jesus has covered a lot in his sermon so far. Uh, he, he has talked about the law. He's talked about how to, how to live out and, and pray and not uh, live out hypocrisy. He's talked about anxiety. He has covered a lot of stuff. Um, and in his purposes, probably like 20 to 30 minutes on a hillside, uh, and we drag our feet and take three years. Um, and so the last time that we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, we were all getting ready for trunk or treat. Uh, so it's been a bit. Um, and so for our purposes today, I, I, again, I want to highlight two things from the sermon because they're going to come into play with what Jesus has to say in, in these verses. Um, the first is the teaching of God as a God who blesses both the, the just and the unjust. Um, it's this idea that God blesses without measure. He blesses his enemies and sends rain on, on both those who are seeking to do what is right and those who are not. Uh, and Jesus uses that example previously to, to encourage his followers and us to love our enemies. The second teaching is this teaching on prayer from the, Lord, from the Lord's Prayer. Um, and in that prayer, Jesus gives somewhat of a, a template. It's not a, we, we should copy and paste this every time. Um, but he gives us kind of a format, especially to this group of people, many of whom the way that they went about their religious lives was to go to the temple and, and have somebody lead them in something. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. He, he's teaching them something about how to do this thing that we call prayer. He says, prayer acknowledges God as Father. It prays for the expansion and the coming of the kingdom. And it seeks for what we need daily to serve God. And so as far as the flow of the Sermon on the Mount, these are two chunks taken 
and, and pulled over here to what we're going to do today. Um, but as for where we are at, Jesus has just talked about judging others. He's given the example of the, the speck and the plank in our eye. And so he moves on from that and, and his words about how we interact with one another and how we judge one another. And he moves into Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, and he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and, and his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And I just pray that as we, as we look at this passage this morning, as we look at this idea of, of asking and seeking and knocking, I pray that we would, we would be mindful of what prayer is to us. I pray that the Spirit would move to challenge us, challenge us in that. Just ask that this time would be honoring to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So in the Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus has given some tips and patterns for how people of the kingdom can and ought to seek to pray. Uh, it's as if he has taught them, okay, this is how we do it. And as he transitions into this asking, he begins to shift over to the function of why do we pray? What is the purpose of prayer? And he's going to address this. And, and the results of the prayer, or why we pray, and what the results of the prayer are, and how we interact with those results will say a lot about how we view prayer. So when we pray, the results of that, whatever that is, however God chooses to work in that, how we look at those results are going to say a lot about how we think about prayer. And so he begins by saying, ask and it will be given to you. And if we stop there and we'll hear that, we go, okay, huh, that sounds pretty great. Um, I've seen Aladdin. And then he says, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. And, and this is one of those verses that is often, they, they take that first chunk and they whoop and they pull it and they grab it and they rip it kicking and screaming out of the rest of the situation. People love to repeat the phrase, ask and you shall receive. Like we, we've heard that. And it's this notion that it's focused on the surface because it seems really great. All you have to do is ask. And I've seen, again, I've seen the genie. Like, you get three wishes. And all we have to do is say, okay, God, just give me a better phone or a better, a more tasty something. Give me an ankle that is functioning. Ask and you shall receive seems pretty good on paper. 
Some approach this passage believing God is going to grant them their every request. It's like he's a vending machine. And, and there's been significant amounts of work done with that statement, ask and you shall receive, to come up with a system by which God will do that. They say, well, and, and if God does not, they have come up with rules and reasons for it. Well, these might be things why God did not. Those things are, are taught and often presented in, in the form of, of a prosperity gospel, a word of faith movement. All you have to do is ask, and if you name it, and you can claim it. They love this part of the verse. And some, so some approach this passage believing God is just going to grant them their requests. And they have a litany of reasons why things went wrong if they don't get what they wanted. Others approach this idea of asking and you will receive, and they look to the unanswered or ungranted prayers, and they say, well, that didn't work. Well, I'm going to stop asking. I'm going to stop praying. And, and oftentimes, in many cases, they walk away altogether. They say, you know what? I asked God, it says, ask and you shall receive, and I did not receive it. So I'm, I'm done here. And both of these ideas, on different, on different ends of that spectrum, they focus only on one part of that verse. It's the popular part of it, mostly because it's the easiest of the three to do. It does not hold the rest of Jesus' words in light of what he has already taught in the sermon and what he is moving forward to teach next. They look at this and they say, Aha, all I have to do to get the nice car and the new thing is say, God, please give it to me. Amen. You have to say amen or it doesn't count. Um, and Jesus, thank you, Michael. Caught me. Um, and if that is the extent of our prayer... If that's our communication with God, what does that have to do with seeking? And what is Jesus talking about when he says we start knocking on something? Um, and so Jesus has already given some guidance on this. He, he has given us some information that, that helps us move forward, and it's one chapter back. In Matthew 6, 31, Jesus tells them, therefore, in his teaching about anxiousness. It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We get two pretty good pieces of information here. First is we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it's a beginning answer of what are we seeking? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in doing so, I, I believe the extension is we are encouraged to continue knocking on the doors of that kingdom, however that will look. And we're going to talk about that. Why would we seek the kingdom of God? I mean, when I think a lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of this, this is one of those sermons where as I study it and as I talk about it, I'm preaching at myself. 
I think a lot of times when I approach prayer, I do not have in my brain how this is me actively seeking God. And so when we pray, how or why are we seeking God's kingdom in that? How are we seeking his righteousness? When you go over to someone's house, and you walk up to their door, and you knock on the door, we expect something to happen next. Like, we don't, hopefully we're not doing that and running away, uh, because don't do that. Um, Yeah, I'll confess those sins. Um, But when you go over to someone's house, and you knock on the door, You are waiting for them to open the door and greet you. You are there to meet them, to interact with them. That's why we knock on things. And nowadays, the way we seek to find where someone's at is pretty easy. Like, we call them, or we text them, or we look their address up in the directory, and we punch it into something, or we print out directions, and then we drive to that location. And it's pretty easy. But they didn't have that. So back then, if you wanted to find somebody and you came into town and you were looking for someone, you would walk into town and you would begin asking people, do you know where Michael lives? Uh, When was the last time you saw Michael? I'm here to talk with him today. You're seeking them. It's active. You had to put in effort to go and, okay, I'm going to try to find where they are at, and then once you get there, then you begin to knock to address them. We seek to meet the person we're seeking. And when the passage says, ask and you shall receive, and we get down and we don't receive it, and then we say, okay, I'm done now. It it is as if we have gotten all the way, we've asked around, and we we said, okay, and I thank you for telling me where they're at, and I don't know for sure, and then we go, I'm just going to go home now. I, I actually don't want to talk to that person, maybe. Asking is the beginning. It's a good step, and we should ask God for things. I'm not saying don't. But Jesus seems to suggest that it's only the beginning of of what prayer is. And so to transition our thinking about prayer and answer the question, why do we pray then? Why do we pray? Because how we answer that question directly affects our prayer. If we are praying in order to get some response and and get these five things, we have have answers to give both to ourselves and the people around us, like, well, when those things either do or do not happen. Do we pray when things get tough? When things are really good, it's, yeah, you know, in the back of your brain, you're thinking, oh, thank God, but... Or are we just going to God when it's really difficult and then when life's good, things are quiet? And I'm not saying again that we should not offer those prayers. We should absolutely offer those those asking prayers to God. God, please do this. We should absolutely offer those prayers of crying out like, things are bad. Please, God, I need this. We should absolutely do that. But if that is all prayer is, then then we have asked and maybe not sought. The truth is many people ask and they do not receive or they do not receive right away and they quit asking. 
They don't seek, and they never even get to the point where they knock on those kingdom doors. Another option here for why we pray is to let God know what we need. Maybe God just doesn't know, and we need to inform God, hey, uh, I've got a shopping list, and I, here it is. I, I really need you to know these things. And, and again, by all means, let God know the things that you want and the things that you need. But Jesus has already told them, and he's told us in that previous section, the Father knows what you need. He already knows it. And so if you hear that portion that says, the Father knows what you need, and you hear Jesus say, ask and you shall receive, if you're like me, your brain goes, then why am I asking? Like, if God already knows what I need, why are, Jesus, why are you telling me to ask at all? Like, why can't God just do the thing he knows that I need and we all move on? And I can just give him praise for that and we can all move on. And what's important is that Jesus hasn't forgotten what he just said in the sermon. He didn't say it and then minutes later say this and forget what he just said. He knows that God knows what we need. And, and, and Jesus seems to take that and, and he seems to say, yes, and yet we should still ask. He holds them both. And, and I think what happens, especially in, in some churches, is we get bogged down with with how God interacts with this. We say, well, well God's all-knowing and he will do whatever he's going to do, what he's determined to do. And so I don't really need to ask him because God's going to do it anyway. And we get stuck over here or we get stuck over here and say, well, God is just sitting there waiting for me to ask him. He's got his bag of goodies. And all I have to do is ask and then he will do it. And Jesus seems to take both of those and he puts them right in the middle somewhere and says, God does know, but we are still supposed to ask. And you might get to the end of that and say, okay, so why do I pray? Um, get to it. And, and, and so we have to finish, his, finish Jesus' words here. On the tail end about what asking has to do with this. And it's one of those moments where I think, at least as I read it and as I go through it, I'm tracking really well. I'm like, okay, th this ask, seek, knock, and if you do, you will find, and if you will receive, and it will be open to you. And it's tracking really well. And then in verse 9, Jesus kind of pivots a little bit. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus transitions quickly from this idea of asking and seeking and knocking to the idea of the fatherhood of God. And it's as if he's trying to put them right next to each other for a reason. And he sets up this analogy. He says, you know, if you have a kid and this, this child and, and this little kid is hungry and they need something to eat, and that kid goes to the first person that they trust and that they believe is able to do something. They go to their father. They go to their mother. And they say, I I'm hungry. I, I need something to eat. And Jesus sets up this analogy and he makes it really absurd. And he's like, no parent in their right mind 
is going to say, ah, I got you. Grab rock. Here you go. It's insane. And Jesus knows this. And I imagine that as he is telling this group of people on the hillside, he says that, and they're, they're, kind of, they, they're like, yeah, that, that would be ridiculous. We would never do that. Or if they came and they said, I, you know, I, I'm hungry, and I, you know, do we have any fish? He grabs a live snake, and here you go, tosses it at them. No, they're going to get bit. That's, that's not being loving as a parent. And to get the, the weight of this, the people that Jesus is saying this to in that moment, they are very likely there because they are uncertain about their daily bread. They might not know where their meal for tomorrow is coming from. Back then, they, they didn't have workman's comp, and they didn't have sick days. And so if you got sick, you got hurt, or your family did, you didn't make money. And many of them are making their wage today to pay for their bread tomorrow. And so they get stuck. And so when Jesus says, you know, how many of you, when your kid comes up to you and they ask for some bread, you're going to give them a rock? Many people probably have had their kid come up to them and say, I'm hungry. And they have had to make a choice. I'm either going to feed this child and maybe have nothing for myself today, or, or nobody's eating, because we have nothing. And Jesus fed them so frequently. And so, there's to carry some weight of when Jesus says, how many of you, when, when your child says, I'm hungry, I, give me some bread, gives them a rock. Even though they have nothing, often, these people know, yeah, you don't give them a rock. That's not helpful. For our purposes, um, I tried to think of you know, this, this idea of parent, and, uh, and, and I don't know why, but I kept coming back to this idea of, of having ice cream for breakfast. Um, and you don't, you don't have to say, but um, I trust that there are folks in here who have had ice cream for breakfast. Uh, you could tell the truth to yourself. Um, but it's kind of fun. Uh, if you've never done it, I recommend trying it, because uh, it, it is kind of fun. Uh, because growing up, it's a thing. You, you know that ice cream is there. It exists. Especially like after the birthday party, you see the big tub go in the freezer. And you're like, maybe tomorrow for breakfast? And most of the time, you're told no. No. We don't have ice cream for breakfast. And maybe, maybe every now and then, the parent says, okay, just this once. Just this once, we're going to try it. We're going to have ice cream for breakfast. The kids are like, yes! And they have the ice cream, and then the next morning they wake up, and I guarantee you, can we have ice cream for breakfast again? And this is that moment that the parent knows something that the child does not. The parent knows that ice cream for breakfast on day two and three is going to have very negative implications for breakfast on day ten. And the child is sitting there going, did you forget how good it was? Like, it's ice cream. What could be bad about this? There's nothing wrong here. What could be so bad? And you tell them no to varying degrees of frustration. 
And when Jesus comes up with this analogy, I, I imagine that they too have this like chuckle. It's to them like, yeah, I'm not going to give my kid a rock. I'm not going to give my kid ice cream for breakfast for a week straight. That would be crazy. As much as they would love it. <laughs> Life is hard. Jesus is not like, ignoring that with these people. They would never provide something useless or harmful to their children. And Jesus hasn't even driven the crux home yet. Like He's setting them up and they're all, okay, okay, I, I'm with it. And then he tells them something about themselves. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Jesus, he doesn't soften the blow. He says, listen, y'all have sin. You do things that are not loving. That's why he spent so much of the previous portion of the sermon giving them these standards of the kingdom because very likely many of them are not doing it. Many of us struggle with it. He says, if, if you're evil, you're not perfect. Nobody's a perfect parent. And, and so if you then are evil, know that this doesn't work for these kids. If you can understand that, Imagine a father who knows how to give generously, who knows what we, not only what we want, but what we need, who loves his children, is perfect, and, and can understand the implications of day one and day two on day 10 or day 3,000. And when we pray to a father who has time and time again proven his faithfulness, proven his goodness, it is a challenge. Jesus is challenging us to pray, not worried about what the outcome of that prayer is. By all means, pray. But we don't pray and then go, oh man, I, I, I'm just, is God going to do it? I better pray again. Maybe, maybe I didn't use the right words. I, let me try. God knows what you need. Absolutely pray to him. Ask him. It is a challenge to pray not worried about the outcome, but in seeking to encounter the Father in that prayer. And having sought him, found him. And once we've found him, Knock on the door and he'll make himself known. And you might get to the end of all that and you say, okay, I understand God loves me and is perfect and knows what I need. But I'm still struggling with this idea of asking. Why do I need to ask? And again, these two extremes exist. And I, and I would almost say you, you don't need to. But Jesus is saying, do it anyway. Our faith and the practice of our faith is not just the stuff that we have to do. It's the stuff we get to do. It's the stuff we learn to enjoy. And I firmly believe, based on what Jesus already taught, that many of the times when we don't ask, God may very well still bring rain on the just and the unjust. 
The unjust probably are not asking him for that. But Jesus nonetheless says, ask. God does know what we need. He often blesses without having been asked. But God knows what we need and he desires we ask. God wants that. And if you think of, okay, so Jesus says ask and then he tells this weird story about this kid and this rock and then he calls us evil. Like, When the son or daughter needs something, they go to the one that they trust. They go to the one that they know in the past has followed through. They, know, they go to the one who they believe can do something about it. When kids, they're hungry, they go to the person that in the past has proven, okay, we will do our best to provide something for you. They have trust and they have a relationship. Otherwise, they would just wander aimlessly and start asking everybody. Sometimes kids have learned that skill too. When we ask, our Father knows that thing which seems so great to us. Sometimes we ask and it, it seems so perfect. God, if I just had this, then I wouldn't have to worry about this and I would be able to serve you more. And it seems so good. It, it, it even sounds good. And sometimes we ask for that and we can't imagine how that bowl of ice cream would be bad. But, but God knows the implications. He knows what we need. And if we trust God enough to ask, then Jesus is trying to get us to trust God enough with the answer. We trust God enough to ask him. Do we then in response say, and God, I trust you to do or do not or remain silent on this because I trust you are good, I trust you are faithful, and I will continue asking and seeking you despite an answer. Sometimes we ask and God's like, yeah. <laughs> and it almost seems instantaneous and it's amazing and it's like, wow. And we are able to praise God because of that. But sometimes kids ask for things they don't need. I have children uh, and so one of the perks of having kids is you get to use them in sermons um, against their Anyway, uh, and my kids are so very different from each other. Uh, Sarah, she plays pretty independently. Um, she'll go to her room and she'll be in there for a while. And it's like, hello? Uh, but every now and then, you will just be sitting enjoy and she will come out and she'll say, come be with me. Not come play with me, come be with me. And then you go in and you just kind of lay on the floor in her room while she does her thing and destroys the rest of her room. And you're not necessarily interacting as much. You're just kind of there. That's it. You didn't need to. Like, and absolutely, I, I could have said, you know what? I haven't heard from Sarah in the last 10 minutes. I should get up in there and, and just go in and hang out. And sometimes that happens. But sometimes there is joy when the child says, I just want to be with you right now. 
God experiences joy when we seek him. So when we ask, well, why do I have to? You don't have to. But imagine the joy of the Father when all you are is like, God, good morning. I have no idea what today looks like. I have no idea what's coming down the road. I don't even know what to pray for yet. But I want, I, I want to do what you would have me do today. Can you, you know, I know there's this difficult thing coming. Can you just give me a sense of your presence during that moment? God delights when we do that. He delights when we seek him. Sometimes that's what this asking is about. It may not produce a result. Sometimes Sarah says, come be with me. I've got my hands full. And it's like, uh, I want to. <laughs> and, I, and it feels so nice that, that she wants that. It's like, can you give me 10 minutes? But you still delight in it. Other times... And this one is, is Silas gains independence. Um, you can see him really puzzling out something. Uh, and he wants so bad to just do everything on his own. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's like, we've got to go. I'm just here. Let me help you. Now we can get on. But, but sometimes there's this moment where you can sit him down, and he's like puzzling how to do it. And he's struggling. He's getting a little frustrated. And as... As a parent, you could easily jump right in and go, okay, here, let's, here's how you do it. But you don't. You let them sit there, and you let them struggle with it. And sometimes they get it, and it's like, awesome, new skill unlocked. Sometimes they get to this point where it's like, and, it, and I'll be honest, this is usually what Silas does. Mom! Say it. Gut reflex from our son. Mom! I need help. He calls out to the people he has trust in, that he knows want to help him. And again, sometimes I think God, he, he can do it. He could just... And he wants us to ask because he delights in that. But sometimes he allows us to have a little struggle. And that's not fun to hear. But again, God knows what three weeks, 3,000 days down the line looks like. He is sovereign. And so when we pray to him, we should have trust, even when it's a no. Even when we're met with, uh, I have no idea what God's doing on this. We don't always receive what we ask for, but we find the one we seek. Jesus' words about asking and receiving, his words about prayer are not focused on what happens related to the content of that prayer. Sometimes they are granted. Sometimes it happens. And praise God. But sometimes it doesn't. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, ask and you shall receive. And now we're going to talk about the golden rule. And he would have just moved right on. He wouldn't have laid out this analogy and told us to seek and knock. 
We relate to and grow closer to our Father. And as we do so, our goal in prayer builds two things. The first is when we ask and we receive what we've asked for, we gain the, the, the reflex and we gain the habit and we gain the act of worship of trusting God and praising Him for His blessings. God, thank you. I would not have had this without you. And thank you for allowing me to understand that my prayer was heard by you. The second is when we ask and we don't receive, we praise God. Trusting Him for what we need. Thankful to have a relationship with Him. When Jesus told them, give us this day our daily bread, it's daily bread. It might not be all of the extras. Sometimes God does that. Jesus is our, is our ultimate example. And so I want to jump forward in Matthew. Um, we're going to leave the sermon for a bit. And we're going to go Matthew chapter 26. In verse 36, and this is Jesus in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus, if as Christians, people of the kingdom, if Jesus is our example, then we would ask ourselves, what did Jesus do with the, with the no from God? How did he handle it? And so Jesus in the garden, this is the story that, that Matthew shares with us. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. He came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take rest later on. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus asked, Father, if it is possible, don't make me die. If, if there's any other way that this can be accomplished, let this cup pass from me. But something that Jesus has already stated in the Lord's Prayer, in that notion of your kingdom come, he says it here. He says, but not my will, but your will be done. He acknowledges, I am asking God for something. And whether or not I get that thing, may God's will be done. And I don't, I don't to spoil the story, 
Jesus received a pretty hard no on this. He died. And so genuinely, if we simply take ask and, it will, and you shall receive, and we just take that and say, all I've got to do is ask, sometimes that is not the case. Because sometimes our ask might not be in line with what God's will is. And that's not wrong to ask. But we should then seek the Father. What is God's will in this? Jesus asked and it was not given. And in that moment, he was given an opportunity and he sets an example. This is why Jesus is sufficient to pay the price for sins here. Because in that moment, he trusts the Father. He seeks first the kingdom. He seeks first God's righteousness. And he trusts God to accomplish what is better. Because I imagine, and we kind of saw this early on as we finished the gospel and we moved into Acts. His followers were like, how could this be a good thing? Jesus is dead. And then he appeared to them, and then they were kind of spooked. But those days in between, I'm sure many of them were like, uh, they were scared, they were hiding out. God knew what day 3,000 looked like. And so Jesus died. And he sets a perfect example of how to trust God even when it is a no in our prayer. And it's been a prayer that as we, as we seek to pray, as we try to understand prayer, that, that we would seek to relate to our God more and more in this way. It's only through Jesus' dying that we have access to the Father. And that, that's what we remember at communion.